So, uh, yeah, we're talking about uh, how good is your perspective. This uh, reminded me of the concept of situational awareness, which is important in various uh, professions, in the military especially, and, uh, well, policing professions, and honestly, in a lot of situations, a lot of workplaces. So people do training on situational awareness. Uh, soldiers have to try to train themselves. But when I went looking for situational awareness cartoons, there's a lot of soldiers on their cell phones in those cartoons. Uh, one one cartoon, uh, just the caption was something like. Uh, Technology is not necessarily making you more aware, and it's like four different people, and they're all texting. One of them's driving a car, about to run over another one, and one of them's running into a signpost, and the other one's about to step into a manhole, because uh, they're paying very close attention to one thing, but they're not very well aware of their situation. And this... I was uh, I blew up an engine, the only engine I ever really blew up, really blew it up bad. Uh, I came off the straightaway. Is there a good way to blow up an engine? Well, you can, yeah, without throwing pieces through the block. <laughs> okay. This one, I'm throwing pieces through the block and through the bottom. But the engine, uh, I knew my oil pressure was low. Okay, so I'm thinking, all right. But I came out of a turn and, they, and it hesitated on power, which meant things are not happy in there, right? But the engine had been running so good, I thought, yeah, huh. I just kept going. And about three turns later, you could hear the rod knocking and then the rod goes through the side and then there's oil flying everywhere and it goes to a stop. And it was like, I should have known when it hesitated and my oil pressure was low, Two indications. Two indications. I should have lifted and cut the power, but I didn't. Because it had been running so good. <laughs> <laughs> this reminded me of the old line from the old song, although the song is about LSD trips, so it's not a really good reference, but uh, <laughs> okay, the line is, I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and in situational awareness, there's uh, the need to uh, observe the situation and then to correctly assess the situation. And then to uh, resp correctly respond to the situation. And so they call it perception, comprehension, and projection uh, in, in that whole field of study. And uh, what we're going this passage we're going to talk about today is about wisdom and revelation. And those two words are the the idea is an idea of situational awareness. It's an idea of uh, correctly perceiving the situation around you, your your circumstance, and correctly responding to it. Doug, what were the three? Perception, comprehension, and projection. projection. 
So in situational awareness training, you're trained to correctly project how the situation is moving, where it's, where it's going. Um, so uh, our basic point today is something like this, a Christian perspective always views the current situation in the context of the eternal situation. Uh, so in this prayer of Paul in the first chapter of Ephesians, he's, he's praying for wisdom and revelation, spiritual wisdom and revelation. And uh, he puts that in a very particular context. And all of that is charted in the middle of the page here. So I hope to sort of uh, validate this chart as we go through the, through the text. <clears throat> the text is Ephesians 1, starting in verse 15. Uh, Paul writes this, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So uh, our basic premise in this whole series is when we see what Paul is praying for for the church in inspired scripture, that is an indication of something that we really need. Um, <clears throat> and uh, also something that God provides. <laughs> If we're asking God, if Paul in, in his description in scripture is asking God to give us something, that's probably something we need. And God is to be viewed as the source of that thing. Uh, so here, the basic prayer request is uh, in verse 17 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you, in this translation they call it, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, we're going to sort of proceed uh, in the Hebrew reading order here from, from right to left on our chart. Uh, and where we're starting is in this idea of a temporal perspective. Uh, what he in this translation is called the spirit with a capital S of wisdom and of revelation. Uh, 
Now, the Greek text here just uses the word spirit. It doesn't, it doesn't have the article. It doesn't say the spirit. So this is an interpretive decision on the part of the translators here. And translators into English do this three different ways. <laughs> they would say it like, this translation does the spirit of wisdom, the capital S spirit, the Holy Spirit, that God would give you the spirit. And that spirit is a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. The, the second way they will translate this is a spirit with a lowercase s. Uh, a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And the third way they translate this, and all of these are valid translations, by the way, uh, <clears throat> is just to say spiritual wisdom and revelation. Because uh, in the context, the wisdom and revelation are really the object here. It, even if we take it to be the Holy Spirit, the point here is that the Holy Spirit delivers wisdom and revelation. And we can't, we don't, we wouldn't want to try to argue that Paul's praying that they would get the Holy Spirit because these people, it's already made clear, have the Holy Spirit in, in verse uh, Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of, promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his that? glory. That was 13. just the previous, the immediate context, verse 13. Uh, so at least once in this context, he's already... They've already been given the Holy Spirit, and that tends to, well, that's an argument for not using the capital S in, the, in this case. So uh, here's what I'd like to say about that. that. I mean, this is just an interpretive discussion in, in the understanding of this text. Uh, so here's what I would like, here's how I would like to say it. He's praying for that they would have wisdom and revelation that has resulted from the communication of the Spirit. In other words, if I, if I emphasize wisdom and revelation, then I need to answer the question, well, in what way is it spiritual? Or where did they come from? And the, the way the text, the Greek structure works, spiritual applies to both of the other two words. So, You'd have to say spiritual wisdom and spiritual revelation. Uh, and so, yeah, the, the question is, what is, what is, where does this come from? Where does this wisdom and revelation come from? And it comes from some sort of communi spiritual communication. And in the Christian context, that's Holy Spirit, spiritual communication in every instance. Uh, so... Uh, I personally prefer the, the last choice to, to take the word spirit here as adjectival and it's a description of the wisdom and the revelation that we're talking about. So Paul is praying for spiritual wisdom and spiritual revelation for the Ephesians. So then we need to 
think for a second about, well, what do these terms mean, wisdom and revelation? Uh, and I'm going to start with revelation. Revelation is the word apocalyptus, or it, it literally means to take the cover off of something. Um, and <clears throat> to make something visible. And so uh, I think what we're talking about here is, is not a revelation in the sense of God communicating his word to a prophet. That's a t- particular type of revelation. But the revelation of understanding the truth uh, in a general sense. So uh, I call this true perspective. Uh, you're going to see reality really uh, in, in the answer to this prayer. What God's going to give you is a true understanding, generally speaking, a true perception, generally speaking. You're going to see things clearly, fully, and truly. I'm going to say that again because that's a pretty good outline. You're going to see things clearly, fully, and truly with this sort of spiritual revelation. The world will be exposed to your eyes. Uh, So besides uh, seeing things, I I want to say seeing all things. And I don't mean to say that to, to mean you're going to become omniscient in some sense. What I mean is, uh, whatever you see, you will see clearly, fully, and truly. Uh, You'll have a spiritual revelation. Uh, And the other thing is a spiritual wisdom. And I, I put this second because I think it's sort of based on seeing things clearly, though this text doesn't indicate that, but it makes sense to me. Uh, spiritual wisdom is practical intelligence. There's plenty of intelligence that, well, there is such a thing as intelligence without wisdom. You see that all the time. Yeah. Uh, so this is a, this is, uh, I've, if we wanted to put it back in the situational awareness terms, this is the, the nexus between comprehension and projection. This is the, I, under, I see it clearly, fully, and then I understand it correctly and see how to respond to it correctly. Wow, well that, you can see that these are valuable things to possess <laughs> in virtually any pursuit you would want to have a true perspective and a wise response. Uh, so that's the thing, the, the beginning kernel of this prayer. But then Paul contextualizes that in a very significant way. Because the very next phrase, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, in the knowledge of him. (laughs) So this is why I've drawn a circle around all of this with the 
heading, knowledge of him, knowledge of God. In other words, spiritual wisdom and revelation takes place in a context. And that context is knowledge of God. So, according to this text then, all of us should go to seminary and study systematic theology and learn how to do Bible exegesis. I don't think so. That's not the point, because the word knowledge here is a very interesting word. Now, all of the things I just mentioned, you know, going to seminary and learning all that theology and stuff, certainly can be useful in developing knowledge of God. But knowledge of God in this instance is something else. Those things can be folded into this sort of knowledge. The word here in the Greek language is epinosis. <coughs> Epi is a little word that, uh, well, it means on. <laughs> so we take the word knowledge, gnosis, the, the English word knowledge is actually rooted in that word, Greek word gnosis, and we add the, the prefix epi, and it means something like knowledge. <laughs> it's like on knowledge, it's on top of knowledge, it's, we might even say, sometimes it's translated like this, true knowledge or real knowledge. So, here's an illustration. There's, there's a guy who went to school and he studied motorcycles. He, he's looked at every picture of every motorcycle. If you point at a motorcycle, he can tell you what kind it is. He can tell you how big the engine is. He can tell you uh, everything about every motorcycle. But he's never ridden one. He's also never disassembled one and put it back together. He knows motorcycles, we could say. But the guy who did all that and took several motorcycles apart and put them back together and then rode them, he knows motorcycles like this. Epinosis, knowing motorcycles. So we could say the knowledge of motorcycles and we could mean the encyclopedia of motorcycles, or we could mean the guy who's lived his whole life on motorcycles. And the second one is the one we're talking about here, which certainly could make use of the first, right? And does, I'm sure. But it's not the same thing. It's deeper, it's more personal is really the point. The word gnosis itself, even without the epi on it, is the knowledge of personal experience. It's, it's knowledge by involvement. So what we're talking about here when Paul uses this expression, epinosis of God, is we're talking about real, intimate fellowship with the living God. And uh, it's like the, we could use this term in the way we know each other. It's personal. It's by experience. Um, and that is not to say 
that it doesn't involve some of the more what you might call cognitive type of stuff, like, you know, reading books and studying the Bible. For us, how do we know God now? Mostly through the scriptures. Uh, But when we study the scriptures, we expect to have some kind of actual encounter with a real person, and that person is God. And so uh, when Paul says, I'm praying that you would have wisdom and revelation spiritually communicated to you, it's in the context of a personal fellowship and relationship and knowledge of God. Okay, but that's not all. (laughs) So to that end, he goes on. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know. That's an, that's an interesting word there, too, we're going to talk about it in a minute. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. Okay, so there's a lot there. But it begins with having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Now, I think this is uh, also something Paul is praying for here in this prayer. So the main aim here is spiritual wisdom and revelation. But he's going to ground that. And that's why these arrows work from spiritual wisdom to tell us, okay, where... Again, we're answering the question, what's the source of that true perspective and that wise response? The answer is having the eyes of your heart enlightened in order to see certain things, which will give you the correct perspective. Uh, So, there's a lot to go here, but uh, this, this phrase, the eyes of your heart, having been enlightened. That's how we have to say it in English. (laughs) Or we could say it like this, having had the eyes of your heart enlightened. It's a past perfect tense. Sorry. (laughs) It's a past perfect tense. In other words, it's a, a thing accomplished in the order of things here. So what he's saying is, I'm asking that this would be done so that you will have this, so that you will have this. You follow? Uh, So, the uh, eyes of your heart enlightened. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's, it's basically someone has come along and turned on the lights so that now you can see right. the eyes of your heart. Now, to me, that's an interesting expression. It doesn't say your eyes, having been enlightened. He's not talking about uh, our material world vision here. He's talking about our spiritual world vision. He's talking about our heart And so one of the things we want to notice, the point of all of this is going to be uh, a true 
uh, a true perspective in general is always in the Christian mindset in the context of the eternal perspective. So an enlightened heart leads to a true outlook. Uh, So here we're talking about something that's some change that's going to occur to or in our hearts, the very core of who we are will be changed or its situation will be changed. The lights will be on. That's kind of like in the Old Testament, turn your part of stone into another flesh. I think it's exactly like that. <laughs> we can't do it. Now, I do think this is referring to more than just a person's conversion. Uh, it's also something that could happen on any, in any given moment of a person's life. Paul's praying this on behalf of already converted people. So he wants them to be, uh, their hearts to be awake. And what will that, that will lead to, he says, having the heart, eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know, okay, so we're going to know some things now. Three things, the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us. Those three things. Now, one of the things you might notice here is there's future, there's past, and there's present, and that wrapped up in these statements. The hope of his calling is future and past (laughs) all together. Hope is a forward-looking thing. The calling is something that's already occurred. This reminds me of uh, Romans 8, you know, uh, that those he called, he also predestined, those he predestined, he also justified, those he justified, he also glorified. Uh, We know that all things work together for the benefit of those who have been called according to his purpose, uh, to those who love God. uh, this also reminds me of First John chapter 3, you know, where we will be like him when we see him. We'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. And having this hope changes us now. Uh, so hope is... Uh, what's the word I want? Hope is cycled into the present. Hope changes how you do now. Hope gives you revelation and wisdom. And so we know the hope of his calling. And here in Ephesians, he's called us. He, he uh, chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That's in verse, what is that? Can't read the numbers. Four, predestined us for ad- adoption according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. So this sense of calling is in eternity past, producing hope in eternity future, changing perspective presently. In other words, my eternal perspective 
is to inform my present perspective. And I always need to see whatever's going on today in the context of what is going on, period, in the eternal nature of God himself. Wow, okay. So then the second thing is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And again, uh, we could go on to Ephesians 2 where Paul talks about how the church is the inheritance of Christ. He talks in earlier in chapter 1 of here about how we have an inheritance. Uh, we uh, look forward to a certain fulfillment. So this one is really definitely uh, future-aimed. One of the things I want to notice about the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints is it's not about me and you and each of us. It's about us, the church. In fact, whenever we're reading the book of Ephesians, we always need to bear in mind, this is not about me, this is about the church. We have, will have a tendency to, to individualize things. Uh, we have a, in, in American culture at least, and I think in Western culture in general, we have a very strong tendency to individualize everything. Uh, and if, when we do that in the book of Ephesians, we're gonna just miss the point. So here, his inheritance in the saints is about the future glory of the body of Christ. And then the third thing, the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Uh, well, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? Well, he goes on right here in the text to tell you what that is. And that is the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand. Resurrection power. The come back from the dead power. The surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe is that. And so we look forward to the resurrection of our bodies. And in fact, in Christ, we've already experienced the resurrection in Ephesians 2, 6. Uh, he says, uh, I'm going to start with verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we are already participants in the resurrection of Christ. Romans 6 makes this point as well, uh, where Paul's answer to the question, well, if grace is real, shouldn't we? Well, then we can just keep on sinning, right? And then there's going to be more grace. Paul says... Don't be silly. You died with Christ. You, you've been raised with Christ. You have new life in Christ. Uh, so living in the dead way is foolish beyond compare. So live the new life. That's his argument in Romans 6. We're already participants in the resurrection. Now, at this point, we want to sort of summarize. It's 
Paul's prayer that God would open the eyes of our heart, like the song says, enlighten the, our, the eyes of our hearts to see these things. The hope, the riches of glory and inheritance, the surpassing greatness of the resurrection power. That's an eternal perspective. That is seeing myself in the knowledge of God, in relation to God. Uh, this is a spiritual grant from God, something to pray for. Lord, please help me and everyone, every Christian, please help us to understand the greatness of your grace toward us in Christ. Because these three things are simple descriptions of elements of that grace. Help us to see our position in him. Help us to understand ourselves in that position. Uh, help us to dwell on these things. And it is in that that we correctly uh, develop our perspective of things as they are today. I always want to put the things that are today in the context of the things that are. <laughs> that are the great eternal is of God. And uh, having that perspective corrects this perspective and makes me wise because how do I qualify wisdom? Well, I could qualify wisdom in lots of temporal terms. I could say, well, if I'm in business, the wise decision is the profitable decision. And I wouldn't be wrong about that. Uh, the wise decision is the profitable decision. If I'm in a family, the wise decision is the, the one that enhances our relationships within the family. That's the wise thing to do. Uh, and there's a certain temporal wisdom. But here we're talking about spiritual wisdom. And I could exercise in my business life a lot of profitable decisions that are not eternally wise. <clears throat> they would be commercially wise. And those two things don't always line up. And even within a family or within important relationships, those things don't always line up. And so I always want to, if, I, if I'm going to really think really completely, fully, truly about anything, it needs to be understood in the context of the things that are, the eternal things. It's always an eternal perspective. Well, my temporal perspective needs to be placed in, the, in that context, or it will be misguided in one degree or another. So a true temporal perspective requires a full eternal perspective, a full appreciation of his grace toward us in Christ, past, present, and future. It's, it's not just 
understanding the facts. It's knowing the persons of God. It's in the context of knowledge of God. And I think in these first two steps, the eyes of our heart being enlightened uh, and our eternal perspective, we're really just talking about a focus on knowledge of God. And so my knowledge of this world is in the context of my knowledge of the existing one, the one who just is. Uh, and, yeah. Now, I, I just want to conclude by noting that in, and I said this once already, in the context of Ephesians, this has to be seen as a function of the church, not just of the individual Christian. If, you, if we read this as just functioning in the individual Christian life, then we've just yanked it out of the context of the book of Ephesians in a kind of artificial way. I think this certainly has an individual application to any one of us. That seems evident to me. But it's also a thing we work on together. <laughs> and in other words, I help you develop your eternal perspective, and you help me develop my eternal perspective, and apply that to our temporal perspective, to our what's happening in your life and how will you respond to it? How do you, are you really seeing it for what it is? And uh, do you know what your path forward is? Uh, in uh, situational awareness studies, they, they talk about uh, situational awareness systems. And that is within a team. How do we communicate with each other so that as a team we're aware? It's probably why we fire three guys on the submarine and not one. Exactly. Yeah. And what has the pilot been doing this whole time and the co-pilot's now just noticing the goat? Yeah. Uh, so uh, this, I, you can look at all kinds of airline accident or any kind of airplane accident reports because these things get investigated like they figure it all out and you can find out in almost every instance it's a team failure it's not a individual failure uh, I've watched this documentary about uh, these KLM pilots and they were in the fog on takeoff and I don't remember what they ignored. Um, canary, uh, canary Island. I don't remember. <clears throat> but there was another plane on the runway, and they took yeah. off, and they crashed into the other plane. It was misunderstanding yeah. of the tower. It was also the co-pilot saying to the pilot, uh, I don't know, and the pilot ignoring him. And the co-pilot not standing up. I mean, this changed the rules about how pilots and co-pilots relate to each other. So the co-pilot got a lot more authority after this accident because <laughs> it was a big airplane. A lot of people died. And uh, anyway, it was a communication within the team about their situation that failed. And uh, you, could, <coughs> you could see this over and over and over again. Like if you read the stuff on the 
the French plane in the Atlantic. It's full of this stuff. You know, they're, they're working it together, but they're at cross purposes from time to time. This is a, if we're talking about developing spiritual wisdom and revelation in the life of the church, this is something we're in it together. Now, we always, I always want to end all of these talks about these prayers by noticing that they are prayers. In other words, based on everything I've said so far, we could all get ourselves a lot worked up about how are we going to do this. Paul, <laughs> this is not an exhortation to the Ephesians. He's not saying, here's what you should do. He's saying, here's what I'm asking God for on your behalf. <laughs> Big difference. Those are really different. But we are such doers in the modern world that we'll take anything and turn it into a to-do list, especially the scriptures. And, but, but Paul is saying here, I'm asking God for this for you. So we need to remember the source, the provider is him, not us. These are things to ask for. Now, I don't want to go all the way and say, therefore, don't do anything. But if we're not looking to him, we've, we've already missed the main thing we're, that's getting prayed for here, right? Which is knowledge of him. <laughs> so this is, a, this is a us and God together project. And God is the provider. And so we always want to bear that in mind. What is it that we really need? Well, in this context, what we really need is to correctly understand our situation in every respect, at all times. That's a need we sense. I, I get it that I don't want to be surprised in my situation in a bad way. I don't want to be looking out the window and suddenly see a mountain goat. Uh, <laughs> and if I do suddenly see the mountain goat, I want to be prepared to respond correctly to that situation. Uh, <clears throat> well, that, that's the end of this scale of needs that we see, that we feel. Uh, we don't feel the other end so much. I need God to open the eyes of my heart so that I really see and appreciate His grace in Christ toward me and us. When do I feel that need? Hmm. Uh, it's not, it doesn't have the same immediate sense. Uh, so for me, the, having this prayer in the scripture is a helpful reminder. Hey, don't forget, you also need to eat the broccoli. I know you really have a strong sense of your need for Snickers bars, but here's something else you also need. Uh, 
And so that's, that's the point of these questions at the bottom of our handout here. Which of these needs do you sense most immediately? Which need is most significant? Well, my need for God, my to know God is to be alive. To not know God is to be dead. So that is the biggest of all these needs, the most significant of all these needs. Which need are you most likely to think you can fill yourself? Hmm. Well, again, I think we're at the temporal end of the scale here. Although I have a strong tendency to want to fulfill all my needs myself, whatever they are. And here's the point. Is clear vision something you develop or something God gives you? That's a trick question. Is clear vision something you develop or something God gives you? Does anyone want to take a stab at answering that question? No, no. The answer is yes. The answer is yes. It's something you develop as God gives it to you. It has to come from Him. Correct. And if you try to develop it independently, you will develop a faulty version of it. Thinking of themselves wise, they became fools. Good, good citation. Yeah. So there you have it. Prayer number one. Who's what? Who wants to discuss or whatever? Questions? I've got. A, I'm. I'm going to tell a little story, but mm-hmm. I you, that was an excellent teaching. But it's not. It's tied into what you said, part of what you said, uh-huh. but it has nothing to do with the teaching. Okay. And that was the. That was That's the. That's okay. We like stories. Okay. <laughs> uh, I just happened to run into a guy. It was in that accident on Canary Island. Oh, and, and survived. And he, yeah. yeah. What happened was right before they were ready to take off, his grandmother was standing there and she said, what are, I, I don't know the guy's name, Don, uh, let's have a word of prayer. And he thought, man, you know, all these people <laughs> around, I, I don't want to really pray, but yeah, this old lady, she wants to pray for me. So, okay, Grandma, go ahead, pray for me. <laughs> So she prayed for him, and they go out, and they came, I think it's going, they were going into France, but everything was messed up. So they had to land on the Canary Islands. They spent the night on the Canary Islands, so when they got up the next morning, it was a lot of fog, and it was four or five big airlines that were in that. It was not supposed to be that. And that's right. when the accident happened, and he said, when, when we hit, he said, I saw the woman in front of me, her hair burned up, and I looked behind, and the one behind had burned up, and the fire never hit me. And he said the next thing that happened was I felt like some hands were under me, lifting me up, and it was a big hole in the top of the plane. Mm-hmm. And I went through the top, and it carried me over and put me on the wing. He said the only thing I got hurt <laughs> is when I jumped off the wing, hurt my foot. <laughs> and, and people burn up throughout the whole airplane. And I, he attributed, I think he's right, attributed to the prayer and his grandmother prayed for him before they took off. Mm-hmm. This is true story. Mm-hmm. Power of prayer. Yeah. 
So if some grandmother wants to pray for you, you better, better let her. Right. <laughs> Stop everything. That's correct. <laughs> she's put your temporal situation. She's she's operating in the correct order here. Wow. Yeah. I think if your grandmother's praying for your salvation, you might as well just repent now. Give up and take it. Yeah. We do tend to fight that, though. Mm. I think the first Bible I ever had, my grandma gave it to me. Mm -hmm. Anyway, if they want to pray for you, you better let them pray. I mean, it just speaks to, um, again and again and again, uh, our helpless estate uh, without his, in the first place, in, in enlightenment. I think the word is, it's used a lot as quickens your heart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It makes it alive. Mm -hmm. Enlightens it. And without him doing that, and uh, your perspective of this is a prayer because you know you, you want to get on the hamster wheel right away and start doing this. Mm -hmm. Well, hang on, it needs to be done together in the body. It needs to be done prayerfully, and God's the only one that can change your heart and give you a perspective. Yeah, and I I think these these elements of our eternal perspective in Christ, it's about what sort of person a person is. Uh, what is my condition, if you will? And so the, the line from the song ends up being kind of apropos. I, I learn what condition my condition is in. My temporal perspective exists. My, my temporal situation exists under and inside my eternal situation. And hope, sometimes my, my immediate situation can be bleak, discouraging, I can't see how a way out, all of those things. And I need the hope of my calling to see, I need to see through the, the immediate thing to the eternal thing. Uh, also, my, my immediate situation can be inflated. I just made a really big sale. You know, uh, I've never been a salesman, but I've known salesmen and that sell big things. So they don't sell them very often. And when they sell one, there is a huge temptation to behave unwisely. Yes. Inheritance is that way too. Yeah, uh, it, it's nearly, and I need my eternal perspective around that inflated concept of success to keep me from really going off the chart in a bad way. So. Uh, it can go either way. It has a tempering effect. I know who I am. I know who I am in Christ. So there's things that in a worldly temporal perspective, I should fear that in my eternal perspective, I don't need to fear.
Uh, so many stores, and vice versa. Stores in the Bible that way, you know. They, it's like we. Well, you know, when uh, children got up to the sea, to it's all over. You shouldn't have led us out here. We'd rather be slaves and stay here. And all of a sudden, yeah. it opens up. Uh, walls of Jericho falling down. It's, I can't remember the guy's name. He, he said, uh, "We can't. There's no way we can win this war." And he said, look up on the hill there. There's all the angels standing around. What was the name? What was that? Uh, Elijah. Elijah, you got it. Yeah. Or Elisha, I can't remember. I get this guy's name. What about when they were going to go into a battle and God said, well, the guys you really need are the guys that are going to laugh at the water and not drink. The water. <laughs> are you kidding me? Because there are very fewer lapping the water. They, they let the rest of them go home. Yeah. <laughs> That's Gideon. Gideon. The, uh, That's so God would get the credit. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard. We're going to talk about tomorrow. We're going to talk about the Hebrew nation when they came out of Egypt. They went to Sinai and they got the law and they proceeded right up to the border. And they sent some guys over. Yeah. <laughs> no faith. No faith. Ten, twelve guys went. 12 guys came back. 10 guys said, No, no way. We're grasshoppers. <laughs> we're not, we're not going to conquer this land. Well, they're correct. They are not wrong. From a temporal perspective, they are correct. There's just one thing they're leaving out. Things that are. God had said. So two guys said, Well, they're not wrong. It does seem impossible, but God said, so we should do it. And the nation said, we'll go with the ten guys. All right, we're going to talk about that from the book of Hebrews' point of view in the Christian life tomorrow. What would they pay a, for by going with those ten guys? They stayed well, in the desert. They, the years they, they, lost, they lost the promised yeah, land. Exactly. Period. For once and for all. None of the, the well... I'm sorry, I can't preach tomorrow. Still. But the, but this was a case of the uh, a temporal perspective that was not informed by an eternal perspective. You know, and the opposite story is David and Goliath. Where oh yeah, here's mm-hmm. Goliath, this monster is a killer, uh, and David is a boy. But the right. stuff that Goliath was saying. He said, you can't say that. He's profaning the God of Israel, the God of creation. How can we sit back on this? It's better to die than to just let that be. Yeah. So he blew right past the temporal fear of going against this monster killer. And trusted God. It's just a a huge... And this is a large part of the reason David gets the description of man after God's own heart. Well... What is that except operating in the knowledge of him? Uh, So he operates in this world, operating in the world. And the cool thing is, he's still screwed up. Well, but he's human. I know. That was the deal, I said. He's human. It's so encouraging. (laughs) I don't know that. He wasn't perfect in every way. Yeah. No. Only the Lord is. Jesus He's a redeemed sinner, just like we are. Exactly. Yeah. And we can get in trouble if we heroize 
those guys too much. Who, who killed Goliath? God really killed him. Yeah. That stone hit him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, killed Goliath. That's easy to <laughs> it, Yeah, it wasn't David. It was David, but it wasn't David. Right. I mean, yeah. what? I mean, David was pretty good with the sling, I guess, but not that good. You know, God prepared David too, because you know well, he right. was out. He, was, he, he killed these great big lions. So the guy said, "If I can kill the lion, I can probably kill that guy too." Well, I think he's prepared in the fact that he trusts God. Yeah, yeah, right. He says, but he developed skills. Anyhow. Uh-huh. That's right. And because of, yeah. Yeah. But God helped him. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's all, it all comes from, from, from up there. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Hmm. It, it is interesting that you're praying to have the eyes of your heart. That's, that's very interesting. Yeah. It's not your eyes enlightened, but the eyes of your heart. Yeah, it's about your it's about your vision for such things as these, you know, these eternal things, these uh, this these knowledge of God things. You don't, we don't naturally see those things. The, you know, this probably should remind us of Second uh, Corinthians chapter four, you know, where it talks about. You, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And believers are the people who, for whom the Spirit has corrected that blindness, has healed that. So we now see the glory of God in the face of Christ. Yeah, that, that's a gift. You, you, that's something you cannot do for yourself. Blind fish in the cave until he turns on our side. Oh, now I know I'm in the cave. Was it Proverbs that uh, the king makes a decision, but God guides his mm-hmm. thoughts to wherever he wants him to go? I mean, he, he has control of the king. So the king looks like I made the decision, but he, he, ma- he didn't make the decision. He made it because God had guided him through all these things. <laughs> I think it's in Proverbs. I think so. Probably elsewhere as well. It's the only place I ran into it, but anyway. All right, well, let me uh, pray for us. Father, thank you for your amazing grace. Lord, we pray that you would uh, open the eyes of our heart to see the greatness of your grace and that this would... uh, This would inform every situation we find ourselves in, that we would understand that uh, whatever we're facing in our immediate situation is in that greater situation. And uh, Lord, we thank you that you are a provider. We thank you for the promise in James that when we ask for wisdom, you're ready to give it to us. And uh, Lord, we we pray that as we operate together within the body of Christ, that we would be ready to lend a hand to each other in these things as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.